0: What you missed on Weekend Mornings with Jason Dacey, inspiring interviews, Singapore stories here on Money FM eighty nine point three. With me, Jason Dacey. I'm in the company of Neil Perry, the renowned Australian chef, restaurateur, author, television presenter. He's the coordinator of Qantas Flight Catering, and he's launched many impressive restaurants, including Rockpool, a very famous one in Australia, and Spice Temple, inspired by modern Chinese cuisine. Welcome to Weekend Mornings morning Jason great to have you here uh, I know you're in Singapore because you've been collaborating with Jan. we're going to talk about your you know background and, yeah. and but everything uh, about what you've done to get you in this place now but why uh, have you been coming to Singapore so often well I mean, Qantas uh, have been flying back now I mean we've always had as a great hub
1: uh, we're flying back now as our, our key um destination through Asia into uh, the UK, which is fantastic. So the kangaroo route is back where it should be. Yes, exactly. Uh, Because we have a rich history with Singapore, you know. I mean, it was the first uh, destination outside of Australia that we flew when we were Empire Airlines back in the 30s and the old – Flying boat used to take about four days to get here, and about ten or twelve to get to London. <laughs> Haven't times changed? The good old days. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> we're talking about in twenty twenty getting on Project mm. Sunrise. You know, it'll either be an A three fifty or 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 a triple seven with uh, a seven eight seven carbon fiber wings, we're talking about flying from Sydney to London direct, Um, but we'll always be going through Singapore. And I think what's really fantastic is, uh, I've heard something the other day, that it's about 25 or 28% um, of our
0: flying internationally is um, through Singapore. So that's extraordinary commitment. Yeah. So look, you you grew up in Sydney, just like I did. You're you're a few years older than me, not that much older, but you've got this trademark hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. And this is related to everything throughout your career, (laughs) including your schooling, you went to Newington College, which is a bit of a posh uh, yep. private school, yes, but yes. Uh, your hair gave you some problems, <laughs> I believe.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I finished year four, which is now the year 10 and did the school certificate. They don't even do that anymore. Mm. Um, and then you've got about six weeks where you're at school, really not doing much, just getting into a bit of year, year 11, what it would be these days. Uh, and the school sergeant came up and, and said, you know, your hair is um, a little bit longer than it should be. You've got to go and have it cut. And I was like, oh, six weeks of school holidays, six weeks of school. We actually used to put a comb in our hair and turn it up underneath uh, so that you, it could, we could grow a little bit longer, and you, but it wouldn't go underneath the collar. Right. So he kind of caught me. Mm. And I was walking out to go to the hairdresser or the barber in those mm. days. And I just made this decision that, um, in rebellious decision, that I just didn't want to do that. And so I went home to my mum and dad and said, I don't really want to go to school. They were probably relieved because school fees <laughs> pretty were pretty expensive yeah, yeah. in those days, and, uh, as they are now. And so I went to Dromoyne High for mm. the next two years right. and uh, loved um, playing football Stuff there, and um, and I didn't get my hair cut then until I was about twenty. So wow. uh, that was probably the longest uh, that I ever had in my life. It was kind of you know just about down on my backside. So, um, but ever since the trademark has been the ponytail. So. Mm.
0: And you started off in a famous restaurant. You were telling me off air called Sales, yeah, uh, which is yeah. actually very close to where I grew up in North Sydney. Absolutely uh, in the hood. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell us about that experience because that was a posh restaurant back in the day and probably still is.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and beautiful views straight down uh, the harbour gun mm. barrel. Right across the Harbour Bridge, Luna Park—you know, absolutely fantastic—and uh, we were doing seafood. Mm. And uh, I was started as assistant manager and ended up being a manager. Mm. And that's probably that probably taught me to be a restaurateur. So I was employing kids and putting wine lists together and buying fish from the markets. You're and, pretty young then, weren't you? Yeah, I, I started there at 19, wow. um, and I ended up working there till I was about 24. So
0: you had a lot of responsibility early,
1: right? Very early, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think my father was always uh, always kind of very, very focused on taking responsibility for things and, and, and making sure that you worked well with people. And I, I, I've learned a lot from him. He was an amazing mentor for many reasons because he taught me about amazing ingredients and seasonality. And he was a fisherman and a butcher a, you know, and, a, and a, he loved uh, growing things in the backyard. So I, I kind of learned what grew with the season. I learned about freshness. Um, but he was a fantastic um, person, guy. Mm. Uh, he ran a large uh, meat company and uh, and I worked with him as a young kid in the school holidays all the time. Right, and right. I was always super impressed with his ability to lead. And I think that always gave me the desire to, um, you know, lead and, and and set examples for other people to follow. And I think all, all good leadership's about about getting in and doing it um, and and kind of being the person who sets the tone. Mm. Uh, and that's what I did very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at about 24, 24 and a half, I decided that I wanted to get into the kitchen. I'd always loved cooking. Yeah. Um, and from that point, I really never looked back. But um, 26, I got a review of my first restaurant. I mean, I shouldn't really have been cooking. I shouldn't have been <laughs> a head chef in a restaurant, really. I just convinced people because I'd worked around uh, in various restaurants who were the friends of mine because I'd eaten mm-hmm. in their restaurants mm-hmm. as, a, as a manager. And um, I'd, I'd sort of worked three months here and three months there. And I worked for a year in the kitchen, uh, but I had good organizational skills. And then a a uh, gentleman, Michael McMahon, gave me the head chef's job at Baron Joey House because I'd worked at Stephanie's and Damien Pignolet's and Brow Waters mm, and all these mm, restaurants. Mm. I just don't think he noticed that I'd only been there for three months. <laughs> um, but it was fantastic. I was there for six weeks and then the head reviewer, Leo Schofield, who you would yes, know. Yes, yes,
0: he's a form- famous uh, uh, reviewer. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: gave me a write-up, 17 out of 20, which is two hats, equivalent of two stars, yeah. and said the kid's a star. I was 26
0: and um, – you know, my career never never looked back. And, of course, we know that part of Sydney, uh, Baron Joey, is <laughs> oh, on beautiful. the peninsula area, yes. the beaches, if people in Singapore are listening, they know that, you know, you go over the Sydney Harbour Bridge, you drive north and yes. lots of beautiful beaches there. So I guess your career coincided with many changes in Australian cuisine because uh, when so. you and I were growing up, it was very much a British-centric, uh, yeah. Irish-centric uh, roast beef and all that, and then yes. we just saw the the way things change. And Maybe you could talk about that and how it paralleled your career.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, you you know, it really started in in '72 when the you know the so-called White Australia policy was mm-hmm. abandoned mm-hmm. as a as an immigration policy, and we opened our borders up a lot. And uh, you know, the Vietnam War ended, and we had a lot of um, Southeast Asian immigration, a lot of sort of more more deeply. Uh, uh, you know, when we we had obviously European immigration before, but yeah, we'd seen the Italians and parts, Greeks, and yeah. Lebanese,
0: but then we saw the Vietnamese, yeah,
1: we? the Vietnamese, the Japanese, mm. the Koreans, the Cambodians, uh, um, you know, Japanese, uh, and and uh, obviously people. Of the Middle East, uh, Europeans, uh, Eastern Europeans as well mm. um, now. So, more and more people from around the world. So, we became very truly multicultural, and our food really started to reflect that. And, uh, you know, we are, and I honestly believe we're, we're very uh, much part of Asia. Yes. Um, and so, it was just a natural progression for me to uh, integrate Asian ingredients, which were growing fresh in Australia. Uh, I loved Chinese and other uh, Asian cuisines as I got to understand them through the 70s. My dad introduced me to great Chinese when I was very, very young. Um, There's a living memory of kind of growing up with with him cooking great Chinese and we had great Chinese friends. Mm. And so I integrated that into my food and and Australia really exploded. And and, um, in the last 30 years, it's become amazing coffee culture, brilliant bread, uh, fantastic multicultural cooking and uh, brilliant ingredients, great stuff from the sea. And what's great in Australia now, we really have an awakening, um, a a real understanding. And we're starting to question ourselves about obviously, you know, the 250 years years of of, um, white settlement coming up and there's a real um, attitude now. It's great I I love seeing as I get older um, people really understanding that we've actually got sixty thousand years of culture in Australia, yes. and we have these amazing Indigenous people. We've got incredible Indigenous um, ingredients, both from the sea and the land. And we have to pay great respect to our Indigenous people because they are um, the first Australians. And importantly, we're learning a lot from them um, and and defining ourselves a lot from them. <clears throat> you know, everybody comes to Australia and loves to see uh, you know Aboriginal art and 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 go out to Uluru and see these incredible things that that uh, you know when you see the first people of Australia. Um, what they did and how, how they
0: move throughout the country—it's really inspiring. Yeah, we're speaking to renowned chef uh, Neil Perry from Australia, visiting Singapore at the moment. Let's talk about some of your most iconic uh, restaurants: uh, Rockpool, yep. Spice Temple. Uh, there are two that really stand out. Yeah, Tell yeah. us about the inspiration behind them. And you mentioned Chinese uh, influence, and the same yeah. with me. With my, with my grandmother, she used to take me to Dixon Street yeah, in, in yeah, Chinatown. Yeah, well, that was where we all—yeah, that's right? where we all went. So that was that—that that was our <laughs> Chinese exposure. That was very Cantonese, I guess, yeah, in, in those days. So yeah, just. Talk us through Rockpool and Spice Temple.
1: Well, Rockpool, I started in 1989 and it was, uh, you know, my three hat restaurant and, you know, Gourmet Traveler Best Restaurant in Australia five times and my fine dining my my expression of my food but it very integrated into Asian flavours because that's what I loved um, and small restaurant hundred seats and, and you know we do one sitting and tasting menus and so forth and first seven years of top fifty restaurants in the world we were in the top fifty you know number four we debuted and went to eight and worked our way down through it but um, you know I then opened a bigger restaurant called Roppel Bar and Grill which was a steakhouse which is what I basically have now but amazing kind of seafood as well. I think there's about 75 items on the menu, but at its heart, it's always great produce and so forth. And, uh, yeah, I opened a restaurant called Wapul many, many years ago, which was Chinese in 1994, and that's morphed into um, Spice Temple, which which is is really about um, Sichuan, Hunan, Guangxi, um, you know, the the sort of spice trail um, parts of China. People think of Chinese food, and as you said, they think of Cantonese. Yeah. But – Really, China is a massive, big place with incredible regional differences in cuisine people yeah, customs yeah. language yeah. for instance. Uh, and of course, you know, we're now discovering that because in where you call the old Dixon Street, yeah. um, Sussex Street, George Street, the Chinatown uh, Pitt part Street. of Street, oh my God, it's massive now. And of course, we see more than just Cantonese restaurants. We see, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we saw a Szechuan restaurant pop up and we went, oh my God, there's a Szechuan restaurant mm. in Sydney. And now, of course, every region in China is, is there, <laughs> it's and, yeah. you know, part yeah. of its Korea town. So we've got all these brilliant Korean barbecue restaurants and Thai town and Viet town. And mm. so we're very blessed and, uh, and, and, super inspired by, by all of that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I got my inspiration. But yeah, dad, we, we, my, I said my father, um, was, was a very, uh, great leading people and, and a great mentor for me, but I always sort of saw, saw him as a collector of people as well. So, mm. uh, we, we went, used to go to a great Chinese restaurant and, um, he became great friends with the owner and, um, and the waiters and mm. they became uh, family lifelong friends. And we went to their weddings and the births of their children, and they came to the same things with us. And and so we got to eat brilliant Chinese banquets and home cooking uh, and things that were very uh, different to what people were eating in these Cantonese restaurants. We weren't eating sweet and sour pork and mm. chicken chow mein and uh, black bean beef. We were yeah. eating chili mud crab and abalone and um, the, all these incredible ingredients that were so um, interesting and, and these amazing banquets. And so it really fascinated. Me and from a very young age, um, Dad took me, from, you know, down to Chinatown buying ingredients, and we'd be eating abalone at home, and um, you know, stir frying and, and doing things. And uh, he loved Indian cooking too, and making spice space, uh, spice pastes and mm, garam masalas mm, and things. Mm. And so that really influenced the way that I cooked at home, and then I brought that into my 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 cooking in the restaurants.
0: Look, yeah, it really is fascinating uh, that um, we we see the evolution of uh, Asian cuisine throughout Australia. You know, I can remember. Going back to Australia after I was living abroad for the last thirty years, most of it I'd see it, I'd see the boom of Thai food. You know that was in the nineties, yeah. and then we'd see the boom of Indian food, uh, yeah. and of course Vietnamese food was always there from like the mid seventies onwards yes. because of the suburb of Cabramatta. Yeah, yeah. You know, but as we as we speak to Neil Perry about his his journey, uh, talk about that and and the way that um, you know you're working now for Qantas yeah. for some time now as a, a coordinator of their cuisines, and yes. we, we can see how uh, Qantas's um, cuisine has really lifted at least. The, Let's the they're getting.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm really lucky. I've sort of now working across service, food, uh, and wine on the on the airline, and we've had a very long history. And I think one of the great things is. Um, I work with 12 of my staff on Qantas, so people uh, that have come out of my restaurants in service and food, um, and we work in the menu development, but but across communications and support with, with service and uh, and my sommeliers pick the wines um, that we, we fly. And I think, interestingly, uh, talking about the food and the multicultural nature of Australia, I think that allows me to kind of very pragmatically design food for the airline because we need to be uh, presenting food from different cultures, flying to different destinations, of course. And I think... Um, um, because Australia feels that way, and particularly about Asian food, it fits very nicely on the menu. And because unlike other uh, airlines, uh, chefs or, or, or um, you know panels of chefs that many, many airlines have, where they might do a dish flying to their country or from their country within that menu, because we write the whole menu, we get to balance it, I think, really, really nicely. And I think that's the key to where we've been able to go. And, of course, that working with crew – for 21 years as they come and go and they stay for a long time. Yeah, and yep. We bring them to ground and we mm. train and they understand what the rock pool philosophy is and they understand what we're trying to do with the food and the crew are amazing because they, they've got this tiny little galley space mm. and we get them to cook food and plate food mm-hmm. and I always tell people that if I ask my chefs to cook for 64 people all at once, they'd walk out of the kitchen. <laughs> um, <so I laughs> that's reality on They're always yeah. like, oh, you should have <laughs> staggered the bookings. Yeah. Um, and I'm always just saying that you I know, have greatest respect for crew because they look after the customers and And of course, you have to think about, you know, people get on an airplane and they're anxious or they're going home for a bereavement Mm, or they're going, they're excited, mm. they're going on a holiday or they're traveling with children or they're traveling for business. So you've got this capsule flying through the air full of people with all these mixed emotions (laughs) Um, and you've got crew who have to deal with all of that and cook Mm. beautiful food and give great service. And so I think airlines do an amazing job of creating hospitality for people. So I think I think the, thing, the other thing, and you, and, and you would know it, Jason, because, you know, born in Australia, although you've spent most mm. a lot of your life outside of it, mm. that um, – Q- Qantas is in, intrinsically linked to the spirit of Australia and whether you fly on Qantas or you don't all Australians kind of feel like they own it yeah um, definitely and I mean so,
0: even though I, you know, I think for many years I would, I would fly another Singapore Airlines or yeah, all the yeah. other lines, but now I'm kind of getting very loyal yeah. and, and, and you
1: probably felt like you were a traitor right yeah it, <laughs> but now I actually enjoy uh, flying yeah, on Qantas yeah, and, yeah.
0: And, and because I think um, I don't know whether it's getting older and being more yeah, aware yeah. and after the fact that they've lifted their game in yeah, service yeah, absolutely, areas and, and everything absolutely.
1: So. but it's that national carrier thing and I think that, that, that Australians are very proud of Qantas, and again, whether they fly them or not, on, on what we achieve and what we do. And so I always say that uh, being asked to do what I've been doing and been doing it for so long and having great relationships with all the CEOs through um, James Strong, Jeff Dixon, and now a great relationship with Alan and a, and a very personal relationship with the guys, mm-hmm. that I feel like somebody you know handed me the number 10 jersey for the Wallabies <laughs> and said, "Will you play for Australia because, because it's... Uh, it's, like it's play for the rugby yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, it's a unique national um, identity Uh, Most, most, you know, I would say, recognizable Australian icon, Mm. and um, to be asked to do that, and for to be able to hold that position down for so long. Uh, it's been an extraordinary experience for me, and uh, you know
0: I couldn't be more proud. And looking back on your incredible career, it's what I guess more than forty year, forty five oh, years, almost well, fifty. On one hundred and ten, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what would you say? You know, the one thing you take away and give to any aspiring chef out there? Oh, look, I mean, uh, it's really about
1: um, focusing um, on your goals, and 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 often you don't really know what they are. I mean, um, you you've got to dream big, you've got to set a, a, a big benchmark for yourself. But I think, you know, it's always um, you know, really uh make sure you've got a great philosophy. I, I, I bring forward a care philosophy with our guys, which is, you know, care about each other and care about the produce and care about the place that you're working in. And, and importantly, care about the community that you work in. So we do a lot of fundraising and we work with people that are less fortunate than us because we, 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 we feel very privileged um, and, and care about the environment because we have to work sustainably and work ethically with produce and in the sea and so forth. But I'd say to any young aspiring chef, expect to work hard, but always treat people as you would want them to treat yourself. Set benchmark um work with dignity it's f- super important and 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 set a tone for people that helps them grow and, and become better people. You know, you're a mentor. I have the responsibility to not make my chefs only better chefs or sommeliers better sommeliers or managers better managers. Um, but I have a responsibility to make them better people. So I have to set a, an example. I have to talk to them about, you know, being, being politically motivated. I always say to my kids, come on you, I, I'm, you know, my generation sucked them marrow out of the world. If your generation doesn't save it, we're in serious trouble. So <laughs> I always say to them, you know, get, get agitated, get, get active, find out who your local member is, you know, if there's an election coming up, find out what the story is and and get out there. And I'm always encouraging my kids to take more of a global view. Food's super important and and through sustainability and how important it is to restaurants and through the fact that hospitality is so important and community is so important to restaurants, we can actually tell a great story. But as people, we have to be involved in our community, we have to be involved in politics and we have to be involved in making the world a better place. So be respectful set a great benchmark for, for the kids around you because, you know, you do uh, end up being responsible for some, some young kids who form their opinions about the world through you um, and how to behave through you. So
0: that behaviour and setting a benchmark is super important. Well, Neil Perry, it's uh, fantastic to have you here in the studio I hear about your stories. I feel quite nostalgic talking <laughs> yes. about Sydney. Uh, many thanks for being our guest here on no, Weekend One. It's a morning. pleasure,
1: Jason. Thank you for having me.